Uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 3 tonight. If you turn in your Bibles to chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, uh, that will be our meditation for this evening. Beautiful words. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Uh, we're the product of all the choices that we've made in life. And Proverbs, as a book, is intensely concerned about how we should have wisdom in order to make wise choices. Uh, there are choices that we can make which uh, aren't in themselves morally wrong, but they may be unwise choices which will lead uh, to untold frustration in our lives and harm, perhaps, on others. Um, I think it was in 1998 when we had a big snowstorm in Lewis and the roads were completely uh, whitened out. You couldn't see the side of the roads. Uh, we were living in Barvis, 11 miles from Stornoway, and to get into the town, uh, we would follow the gritter that we knew was clearing a path along this long, straight road into Stornoway. Uh, I did hear a story uh, about a woman in another place altogether uh, who was also following a snowplow in blizzard conditions. And after some time, the driver noticed her tailing him and stopped to ask her where she was going. And she said that she was going to such and such a town. And he said, oh, you'll never get there following me. I'm cleaning the car park. She had made a wrong choice, which would lead to frustration. Wisdom is skill in practical living. It is competence in the realities of life. Uh, when we were looking at Proverbs the last time, thinking about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, I quoted from Derek Kidner, uh, who has a commentary on Proverbs, uh, when he says that uh, the book of Proverbs deals with matters which are small enough uh, to escape the mesh of the net of the law and the broadsides of the prophets. So in some respects, they're the, the little things, but the little things which really do affect our personal relationships. Most of the choices that you have to make in life, uh, you will not be able to go to the Bible and use it as some people use their horoscopes to find instant answers, instant fixes. There are some things which are obvious and there are rules in the Bible. Uh, if you are tempted uh, not to put into your income tax self-assessment form some income in the year, then there is a law in the Bible that says you shall not steal and it's quite plain what you should do there. But there are many other things uh, in which going one way or the other may not be morally wrong, but there is a wise choice to make, which will be for your blessing and the blessing of others. Proverbs describes life as a path. Uh, it's a, a way that we walk 
Uh, we have that in verse 5. Uh, sorry, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So if you don't want to have crooked paths that are going off and uh, bypass, uh, bypass or into cul-de-sacs or twisting and turning, if you want the Lord to make your paths straight, then uh, in all your ways acknowledge him. Proverbs 3 tells us a great deal about how uh, Christian character is to be created within our lives. It is as we develop godly understanding, uh, as we are saturated with the word of God, we will habitually make wise choices and we will have a taste for the right thing to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, the importance of having a childlike spirit of trust in God. Uh, storing the word of God up in your heart. Uh, making sure that uh, your heart is tuned in like a radio to the the broadcasting station, to the, the radio waves that are being sent out, tuned in to that, to the right frequency, uh, so that we adjust our thinking and our attitudes to the Bible. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep your commands, my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. And then Solomon gets specific about the themes that he wants the son to heed. And we have them in verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This is the great theme of the Bible that Solomon is saying we are to have, our, uh, have constantly before us. We are to be tuned in to love and faithfulness. That is to be the big picture through which we see the world around us. So I want us to look at that, so at least these two verses tonight, and to, to think first of all how uh, this, these twin uh, things, love and faithfulness, they are to provide the framework, the picture for seeing everything around us uh, and how we are to have our lives shaped by this and the blessedness that flows from it. We have to we have, to have uh, a story to understand the world around us. We have to have a framework to put uh, everything that we encounter into, to make sense of the world around us. We must have a key. Just to illustrate this, uh, the, there's a... Um, a Roman Catholic writer called Alistair MacIntyre who wrote a, a book called uh, After Virtue. And in that book, uh, there's a little illustration which is much easier to understand than the rest of the book. Uh, and he gives the illustration of somebody who is waiting by a bus station, minding his own business, when all of a sudden, somebody runs up to him and says to him, uh, Histrionicus, Histrionicus is the Latin name for the Harlequin duck. Man is mystified as to what on earth 
is the reason for that. And he says, there needs to be some kind of a context, a big picture, a framework to understand that. It could mean all kinds of things. It could be that this man is high on drugs. And so what he's saying is actually the symptom of a really troubled life. He's come up to this complete stranger with this bit of information. Or he says, it could be a, a case of mistaken identity. He's been in the library and he's been researching the harlequin duck, wondering what the Latin name for it was, and the librarian helped him, and you happen to look very like the librarian, and it's a case of mistaken identity. He's saying, I found what I was looking for. Or the third explanation he gives is, he could be a spy, and this is the code, and you're supposed to recognize him by this watchword. Well, the, the illustration is supposed to uh, convey the idea that all of us need to have a, a picture for setting in the detail of life. You need to have a, a way of looking at the world around us. It may be a godless view, it may be a Christ-centered view, but everybody has a framework for looking at the world around. We can do and say things which sound right and Christian, but they need to be part of a Christian uh, view a Christian big picture rather than something that's disconnected. We used to stay uh, near to a man who had a, a huge speedboat uh, parked outside his house. Uh, it was a holiday home. And emblazoned on one side of the speedboat was a slogan. And the slogan was, One life, live it. And you know, at one level, I could say, well, I, I identify with that slogan. There is one life. I have one life to live. And I'm called to live it for the Lord Jesus with all my might. I don't want to live at the level of mediocrity. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to fritter it away. I have one life. Live it. Uh, but that wasn't what he meant. That was not what he meant at all. He was an atheist, this man. And really, well, what that meant for him was much the same as the pagans in Paul's day meant when he said uh, let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. One life go for as much pleasure as you can. Now all of us will have a big picture which shapes our thinking and our lives and Solomon is saying, Solomon is saying that if we are to live wisely and if we are to make good choices in life which will bless us and others then that picture should be shaped by love and faithfulness let love and faithfulness never leave you look at life consistently in a believing way now it might seem at first sight that Solomon is saying be a loving and faithful person and that would make the, the verse uh, read like you know, the, the kind of motto you get in some cheesy greeting cards. You know, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Uh, but that's not what uh, is intended here. These are not in the first place human virtues, but this is speaking of what God is like. And they are two very important words that we have here. Uh, words which crop up again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. Love and faithfulness. Two key words in the Hebrew Bible, Chesed and Emet. Chesed is God's covenantal, unconditional love towards his people. 
Now, in the authorised version, there were 13 different ways that the translators described that. Uh, in the New International Version, uh, it's love or loving kindness, generally, that's used to translate the word. And it's his God's covenant love. It is the idea of a, a covenant or an agreement between a king uh, who graciously commits himself to his people. It's the, the idea is that God is able to meet the needs of someone who is absolutely helpless. Someone who is in no position to demand of God his love and care. But God nevertheless is willing to give it. And he has committed himself by his covenant promise to love and care for that person. Uh, one of the writers gives a couple of examples of, of this from the, the Old Testament. Uh, for example, when Joseph, uh, near the end of his life, asks his brothers to make sure that they bring his bones down to uh, Israel, that will be a mark of covenant love or loving kindness because obviously uh, being dead Joseph is in no position to do it himself it will be his descendants who do that as a mark of their commitment to him in the book of Ruth uh, we have two helpless people Ruth and Naomi and their predicament is that uh, Naomi's, uh, Naomi's husband died and they won't be able to carry on the name of the, the clan, the name of the family, and they don't have land any longer in Israel. But Boaz is a wealthy man, and Boaz is willing to take Ruth uh, as wife and to raise up children uh, through Ruth who will carry on the family name. So that's, these are examples of the kind of love that Solomon says uh, we are to keep near us we're to have uh, shaping the way we look at life. God is able to help us. We are helpless in ourselves. And not only so, he can be relied upon. He can be counted to help. He is faithful in that sense. He is loving and he is faithful. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Don't forget them. Let them be in the forefront of your thinking. Look at everything through the lens of love and faithfulness. May they be big in your thinking. As they are in the minds of the greats in the Bible. Mary's song. The Magnificat. It's full of thankfulness to God. For his love and faithfulness. My soul praises the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich 
away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary, Mary never let love and faithfulness leave her. She saw what was happening to her as the great example of God's love and faithfulness, his covenant love. When Zechariah, we were thinking about Zechariah this morning, when he burst into song, it's God's covenant love that he blesses God for. He praises God for keeping his promise, which was for salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. This will be wisdom for living. This will help you to act wisely. Love and faithfulness. Isn't it interesting that when when Paul uh, is speaking about wisdom uh, to the Corinthians who valued wisdom so highly, he speaks about the cross. It's the cross that is the great uh, illustration of wisdom. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why is it the wisdom of God? Because in the cross we see love and faithfulness that's where love and faithfulness has been revealed God's covenant love the the love of an almighty holy God to a helpless sinful rebellious people who could not uh, demand uh, his his love it shows that God is, is a holy God he will require punishment on sin but at the same time he is ready to provide a substitute in Jesus, his son. The way is cleared for us to be accepted. The wisdom of God is shown in the cross because it shows us that we are desperately needy. We're far more sinful than we ever thought because when the extent of our sin was measured up, it showed that only the death of God himself would would, would cover our sin. But it also shows us how loved we are because when that measurement was made, God was willing to give his son the wisdom of God. And that's the big story. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let it never leave you. Now, Solomon is saying here, secondly, that this great theme, which is the believer's theme, which is our song in life, uh, is something that we need to ensure we never lose sight of or depart from. Let it never leave you. Bind it round your neck, he says. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Why? Why, Why the panic about uh, forgetting love and faithfulness? Well, the reason that it's so important for us to to hold it close to us is that God's way of working revealed in the cross 
is contrary to the ways of thinking of the world. The world, the, the unbelieving world, does not think in this way. It thinks continually in terms of earning favour. From the moment we enlist in school, through our sporting interests and our career, we're told that if you put in effort, you will be rewarded. Even the advertisements on the television tell you that you should purchase this or that because you're worth it. None of us are worth it. So there's a whole atmosphere which is contrary to the great theme of love and faithfulness in the world around us. And unless we take measures to bind it to our neck and write it on our heart, we're going to forget, aren't we? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God's people are about to leave Sinai and God warns them that when they go into the promised land, they will be in danger of forgetting his love. And there are three main reasons why they may forget his love. First of all, there is the danger of prosperity. When you go into this land and you occupy flourishing cities that you didn't build and wells that you didn't dig and vineyards that you didn't plant, then be careful that you do not forget God. The danger of prosperity. There's the danger of pluralism. They'll be going into a land where there have been many religions. And unless they remove these religions, they will uh, have the effect of contaminating them. And they'll lose their distinctiveness. And thirdly, there's the danger of generational forgetfulness. In other words, as the longer they're in the land, the fainter will be the memory of God's love. And so, what are they to do? These commandments, God says, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Jews took these commandments uh, literally. They actually did this. Uh, whether or not that was the intention. Uh, Solomon is speaking of a spiritual writing. A writing in our hearts. And Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Speaks of the Holy Spirit. Writing God's commands on our hearts. You show that you're a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So the Holy Spirit ultimately does the writing on our hearts, impresses on us the love and faithfulness that is the way that we as believers see the world around us. But it's true still, that we need to constantly remind ourselves of God's perspective on the world. We need to remind ourselves, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. 
Every day we need to remind ourselves that we are uh, hell-deserving sinners, that we have been saved by grace, that we are undeserving of the, the, the grace of God. The gospel isn't just the way that we are saved, it's the way that we'll grow as Christians. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Why do we do this? To remember. Because Jesus knew that we might forget. This do in remembrance of me. And so Jesus in his compassion has provided us with with tangible ways of remembering what? Love and faithfulness. These are the teaching aids to bring to uh, our memory uh, so that we have them bound upon our neck and written on the tablets of our heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. When we have love and faithfulness near us, then we are looking at the world with grace-healed eyes. That means that we have a new realism about sin. Gone is the, the foolishness of thinking that well, essentially everybody is good. Uh, false uh, utopianism about the world that we're every day and in every way we're getting better all the time. It's not like that. Instead, we have a humble realism of our need. And a gratitude to God for his amazing love towards us. We, we realize that we have deserved something. We have, we have uh, been given something completely undeserved. And that enables us to live gratefully. As we ensure that love and faithfulness never leave us. We ensure that we'll never lose that. Who would ever have thought of it? Response to the gospel. That element of surprise, that wonder, that open-eyed response to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And thankfulness will mark our lives as we live with love and faithfulness, with God's grace before us. Now that helps us also in our relationships with others, doesn't it? You know, there's a huge misconception sometimes by people who are not Christians and who don't come to church that people who are in church are actually looking down their noses on those who aren't in church. And that somehow being in church is a statement that we are good people and that others aren't. And love and faithfulness gives the lie to that, doesn't it? Because it has shown us as needy sinners who have found the Saviour. And so we relate to others as sinners relating to other sinners, eager to point them to the Saviour that we have met in Jesus Christ. No place for sitting in judgment or looking down upon others. And such a man or woman knows a poise in their life they are easy to get on with. Their thankful and non-judgmental spirit 
brings warmth to a company. And they are, Solomon says, the kind of people who will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. May God, by his grace, enable us to do that. Amen. And may he bless to us the preaching of his word. Now, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 116. And we're going to sing uh, from verse 12 to the end of the psalm uh, here. And it's our our custom, it's our tradition in the congregation that uh, when uh, we sing the psalm before the the Lord's Supper, that uh, if you're intending taking the Lord's Supper, that you come and sit uh, near the front. Uh, We also explain at this point just exactly uh, who should come to the Lord's table. Uh, This is the Lord's table, clearly. Uh, It's not a congregation's table or a denomination's table. It is the table of the Lord Jesus. Our entitlement to take communion is certainly not that we're good or worthy. Uh, Our entitlement to come is that we're trusting in the Saviour Jesus, that we have uh, received from him forgiveness for our sin, and that we've also uh, come into membership of his church. And so we invite people who uh, are not necessarily members of the Free Church or our own congregation to join with those who are taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, So if that describes you, if you're trusting in Christ and have come into a membership of any branch of the Church of Christ, then uh, during the psalm, uh, please take uh, uh, your place in the front rows of seats and you will be uh, given the bread and wine in due course. How can I thank the Lord for all he's done? With gratitude, salvation's cup I'll raise. I'll call upon his name and will fulfill my vows to him before his people's face. The Lord holds near the death of all his saints. Hear me, O Lord, I am your servant true. I am your servant and your handmaid's son. And from my chains I have been freed by you. Let's stand and sing to God's praise. How can I thank the Lord for all he's done?